We're in the season of Easter, a time where we remember and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And last week, uh, we spent some time, well, considering, did this actually happen? Now, if you were here this, uh, this past Sunday, or maybe you were at a different church, maybe that's what you talked about there, too. It's a, it's a worthy exploration. In the end, to, find, to, to come to a place to say, do I have the good reasons to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And I've been thinking a lot about that, as one does this season. And today we have uh, St. Peter, front and center. And we're seeing him kind of at the bookends of his life. In our Acts reading, we see Peter as a young man. The followers of Jesus uh, were actually uh, quite young. Commentators will uh, put his age at maybe even at 17. Which today we have the word teenager, which is, you know, quite, quite young. Of course, back in that time, teenagers didn't exist. You were a child and then you became an adult, right? If you're a male, a man. He was married. And the other followers, he was probably around the oldest, so the other followers were younger. St. John the Beloved, the youngest, maybe he was 11. Attending to Jesus, rabbi, teacher, messiah, God. And so Jesus, as we know, is arrested legally by the authorities, sentenced to death, lynched on a Roman cross. But what we celebrate this season is that he didn't stay dead, but that God, through God's power, raised Jesus from the dead. New life, resurrection. And that life promised to those who trust in him. That trust, that trust is hard. You see, when Jesus was murdered, a lot of his followers didn't know what to do. They had been following Jesus for years, but there he is killed. Everything they thought was going to happen didn't happen, and so they went back to their old lives. Peter was a fisherman. But then the resurrected Jesus comes to him, makes him a meal, some fish, and they have a conversation. Because as you might know, when Jesus was arrested, Young Peter had said, I'll die with you. I'll never betray you. I'm always with you. Of course, they arrested Jesus, and Peter pretends like he doesn't know Jesus. Three times. Do you know Jesus? No, I don't know this man. Betrays him. And so now, on this specific morning, Jesus makes Peter some food. They have a conversation. Jesus asks Peter, hey, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I do. Jesus asks him three times, essentially grabbing Peter's hand, bringing him back to that place that he didn't want to go, of abandonment and betrayal, until Peter, I guess, comes to that vulnerable place and tells God what is true. Oh, Jesus, you know everything. Open hands. I, I don't have any answers for you. You know everything. And then Jesus commands Peter, feed my sheep, take care of them. So we can imagine Jesus empowering Peter in that most vulnerable, broken moment. Then Peter goes out, and in front of hundreds, if not thousands, he proclaims 
I speak to you now in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the risen Lord, whom you killed. And let me tell you about him. And he speaks. He proclaims it. 17. And then, years later, maybe he's in his 60s, 70s, who knows, he's an old man. He's writing a pastoral letter to his church, to the next generation of Christians. And that's also what we heard today. Peter writing about the source, the hope that we have in this world. And he makes it very clear the hope that we have is found in the resurrection of Jesus, the Lord. And that's important to hear. I was hearing it this week as I was reading, praying, preparing, and I remembered how even this past, in the past six months, I've been uh, two separate occasions, two different people have given me something that I've heard you know, in my life, and maybe you've heard it too. Oh, that's really interesting that you believe that, Seth. But, you know, I was young too, and I believed certain things when I was young. But when you get older, your thoughts will change. And you'll believe differently. Maybe that's meant as encouragement, or maybe trying to bring me some perspective. And you know what? As far as it goes, there's some truth to that. Right? When you're children, you believe a certain thing, and as you grow in maturity, your beliefs can change. But not all beliefs change with age. It's not the case that when I was 17, I believed in human rights, and today I've just thrown that out. I'm older. That's not true. What must be changed, of course, should change. But there are some things that don't change, and those we hold on to, and those matter. And what Peter is showing us is that it wasn't that he was 17 years old and he was really hopped up on seeing Jesus and then he starts proclaiming the resurrection, but when he got older, he was wiser and it's maybe more of a spiritual thing or a symbol. Who knows if it happened? That didn't happen in his older age. He proclaimed what was true. Jesus rose from the dead and this is the source of hope. And he's not just speaking analytically as an idea, trying to come up with a philosophy for someone to adopt. He's speaking out of his experience decades following Jesus in one of the hardest times to be a follower of Jesus. Because at that time, it was deadly. The first Christians were, were Jews, were Jewish people. But as it became clear that they were worshiping a, a man, Jesus, proclaiming this crucified man as Messiah, they were being rebuffed. You don't belong here with us. or something else. You're believing things that aren't part of what we believe. And of course, they were completely devoted to Jesus. So the Roman authorities were believed in many gods, including the emperor being God, were saying, wait a minute, you, you aren't like us. You say something else. You're atheists. You deny the existence of all these other gods and other religions. You're odd and dangerous. And at that moment, he's encouraging his church. And he could have said anything. He could have said, well, what you do when you're having a hard time is you acclimate to the culture. Just say what everyone else is saying. Just do it. Be polite. He doesn't say that. Or if they're going through a hard time, they say, here's this self-help idea. Just take this and do some breathing, walk and walks, and you're going to be okay. He doesn't say that. Or adopt this new trendy philosophy or this ideology, these new politics, acclimate. He doesn't say that. He says the hope that you have in the midst of your trials, what's going to give you joy, is the resurrection of Jesus the Lord. This is it. 
So it matters what you and I think about the resurrection. It really matters. And it's okay to be honest with where you are in your spiritual journey because the truth is we're all in different places. For some of us, to say Jesus was raised from the dead, that's not complicated. Yeah, of course, historical reality, and my life is based on that. For some, sure. For others of us, well, yeah, I follow Jesus, but when you talk about the resurrection, that's, I don't know, Seth, I'm not sure what to believe. That's really out there. I've never known a human being to be murdered and to come back. That's really hard. And for others of us, that's a joke. We come to church because it's a polite thing to do. I'm a moral person. I show up. I sing a song. I'm not sure about that. And somewhere in between, right? Maybe, hopefully, you're asking, wherever you are there, yeah, some days I'm not sure what to do with the resurrection stuff. It sounds good, but yeah. I want, I want to have hope. It'd be great if I believed that, but it's hard. I have a lot of questions. And I'm sympathetic to Christianity and the resurrection, a joke. Very silly. Deluded people. And now here I am wearing this for some reason. Don't rescue me. But I get it. It's a journey. And this past week, a letter I sent out to the church. I talked a little bit about that. I also shared some resources that could help you in terms of processing this. Academically, intellectually, that matters. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not just an intellectual thing. Because you might say to yourself, well, yeah, those people saw Jesus. So if I saw Jesus too, I believe. It's easy to believe if you see him, Seth, but we don't see him. We're here 2,000 years later. Let me tell you something. When Jesus was newly resurrected and still on earth, at some point, 500 people saw him alive. Not everyone stayed. They saw him with their eyes and they walked away. Which means, if you think to yourself, if Jesus walked through those doors right now and said, hey, I'm the risen Lord, you honor the evidence, here I am. It's not a guarantee and bend the knee or that anyone else would. Some people would just repeat history, kill him. So I guess I want to dissuade you from the idea that if only I had empirical evidence, I believe, no, you might not. There's Thomas, right? Empiricism, unless I touch his wounds, I won't believe, guys, because the disciples were all there. Hey, he's risen. Ah, because I see it, I can't believe, you know? Critical thinker, all right. Then later, Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, hey, Tom, turns out you're an empiricist. All right, touch my hands. Here's a sign. This is where they put the spirit. Check it out. Some people saw Jesus and they walked away. Because this is the key for us to believe in the resurrection. Thomas saw Jesus. No, didn't take him up on the offer. He didn't just start putting his fingers everywhere. Thomas saw Jesus. And then he says, My Lord and my God. No, Thomas worshiped. He worshiped Jesus as God. That's, that's, 
you want to believe in the resurrection? You're struggling with it? I'm not sure what to do with it. How do I believe that? Faith is not primarily analytic. Though there is a life of the mind that you have to have, but it's not primarily analytic. Faith is a gift of God. It's something that God gives you if you have an honest heart, open and willing to receive it. And many of us often don't. I put myself in there. I want to believe what I want to believe, what I like comfortable, what I think is right. And I assert myself, and I don't like hearing someone else telling me differently. Put up the shield. And that is a perfect way to strangle faith, kill it. But what saves us, Jesus, is to open our hearts in vulnerability like Peter on that beach. Oh, God, I love you, but you know everything. You know who I am. You know my brokenness. Because God will always give you what you need, not what you think you need, but what you actually need. Peter, in order to proclaim the resurrection, needed to be brought back to that place he didn't want to go, the place of betrayal, and then admit who he was, and he thought he was a strong warrior for Jesus. I'll die with you. No, you're a coward, actually, and you won't stand back to this place. Admit that. Oh, Lord, you know everything. Ah, now you're vulnerable. Now you've opened your heart to my reality, my love. Here's my power. Go up, proclaim it. Thomas actually did need empirical evidence. So when Thomas said, I can't believe until I see it, Jesus came to him and gave him exactly what he needed. Because Thomas was meant to be an apostle. To be an apostle, you had to be taught by Jesus and see him physically resurrected. And then when Jesus came to him, giving him exactly what he needed, Thomas responds, my Lord and my God, worship. And as many believe, Thomas went, traveled to India, and started the Christian church there. Found to this day, believers. And so the question today for you is what do you need? Careful, not what do you think you need. You have to ask God, what do I need? You can come to him with that. Lord, it's all resurrection talk, Easter, a lot of it stretches, you know, it's hard to believe. Can you take me? I, what do I need to have faith in this? And then if you genuinely ask that question in vulnerability and truth, he will take you by the hand. He's going to take you to that place. He's going to say to you, there's that person you haven't forgiven. And until that happens, my gift of faith just will not flourish in your life. Forgive. There's that thing that you do that you don't tell anyone it's about. You do it in the dark. You have to confess that faith cannot flourish in your life. Or take the hand. You'll talk about me on Sundays, but during your the other six days of life, you don't talk about me, you don't reference my, my reality to your friends, your family, you pretend I don't exist. That's got to change or faith can't flourish in your life. That's how faith works. It's not something we can manufacture. It's a gift of God. And so today, my friends, I want to encourage you. And there is encouragement here. Because the stories of the apostles, the first followers of Jesus, they're always bumbling and messing things up. And Jesus is always patient, always loving, always just right there to love them, to support them. So much so that he gave his life for them. 
so they might experience God's divine life and love that is available to each one of us here. All it takes is humility, a willingness to come to God and say, hey God, I don't have all the answers. Can you lead me? I believe, God, help my unbelief. When you pray that in vulnerability and truth, God will meet you. That's a promise, not even my promise. It's a promise from God. That we can trust. Take him up on it this Easter, not only for our great good, but for God's great glory. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks and praise that in the day to day when uh, we forget you, God, you don't forget us. We're always there, just waiting, so willing, so eager to share your life and love with us. If only we come to you and ask. And often we don't. God, help us to ask. Grant us the gift of faith. Not only so that we can feel comfortable in our private piety, but so that we can share that love and that hope with others. Because you are the only God and you are our true hope. Help us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.